Welcome to the Intuitive Mind Solutions Podcast, where we help people help people. Our vision is to support all the individuals out in the world who are helping others become better versions of themselves. We represent a group who create Intuitive Mind Solutions for the challenges in the world today. Human potential has been limited because we have forgotten that our true strength as humanity is the ability to work together. We will stand by your side, we will have your back, and we will do whatever we can do to support you and your vision to help others. Today, in this age of awakening, it is time to bring the intuitive minds of intuitive people together to awaken the rest of the world. We are here to bring together the right people at the right time to create the right solutions that the world needs in order to thrive. The Intuitive Mind Solutions Podcast is hosted by Dr. Matthew Bresky and co-hosted by Dr. Adrian Orain and Joshua Baudouins. Stay relaxed, everybody. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Intuitive Mind Solutions Podcast. I'm Dr. Matt Bresky, and I'm here for an interview we're having today with two special guests, and I'm co-hosting with Joshua Baudouins and Dr. Hi. Lorraine. Today, we are very excited to have two amazing people that are out in the world, in the trenches, really changing lives in real time, every day, every week, all year long, and it is quite an inspiration to see how their programs have evolved since the first time I met them. Because when I first met them, they were on the beginning journey. And wow, what a what an amazing thing to be able to see. And I'm really excited to have them on this interview. And right now, today we have uh, Dr. Monique Andrews and Dr. Tamara McIntyre, and they are the founders of the Prana Foundation. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah. And I got your names right. Absolutely. I, I almost switched you up and said, you know, uh, Monique, I almost switched your first and last names up either way. Oh, man. <laughs> so um, I'm going to let you guys kind of take over a little bit and tell us a little bit about your programs. Uh, what we do here at the Intuitive Mind Solutions in the beginning of our show, we want to know a little bit about what you guys are up to. And just to give a little bit of space for you to share your story a little bit so more people can hear about it. Uh, we're just here to support what everybody out there in the world is doing that is involving helping people. It's a really simple uh, principle. And so we'll let you guys go take over. Sure, yeah. And maybe just to give you a little bit of our history, we... Uh, we're in practice together in Ottawa, Canada for about 13 years, going all the way back to early 2001. And then uh, we left practice and we went, we were teaching at a chiropractic college and working as administrators there for about six years. And then we recently moved back to Canada and we started the Prana Foundation, which, you know, for us, having been through the trenches of practice, been through, you know, the complicated labyrinth of education, 
and we could really see some gaps for especially for new graduates and students entering the profession and so we created the piranha foundation to bridge those gaps and really it's um it's a nonprofit service organization that is our I idea was to create a resources, a wealth of resources and an engaged supportive community for chiropractors that really was a safe space for them to heal and grow and transition into chiropractic, into the profession. And so I guess now you can sort of say that we're kind of like shepherds for new graduates and docs getting started. And we have a whole host of programs that um, range from educational programs like Dr. Mack's clinical, mentor clinical mentorship, um, my patient education and science program called Dr. Mo Knows. We run retreats. We do small group mentorship that's really focused on both personal and professional development. And uh, something that we always say is, who you are as a person precedes who you are as a chiropractor. And so ultimately, um, our programs are really centered at meeting um, new docs and students where they're at and helping them just bring out their most authentic expression and create a practice that they design with that thoughtfulness in mind so that they're not just taking a model that's actually not them or they're not going into an environment where they aren't um, where they haven't identified what ultimately they're hoping and expecting to get out of that next piece of their professional career and so our individual sort of interests and expertise, you know, um, Monique's is really about understanding what's happening with the science and teaching it um, and making it really accessible, but also making sure that the research um, is part of the patient education component and understanding for chiropractors. And for me, um, you know, my expertise is far more in the clinical world. And um, I, you know, what I found is there's a whole lot of young doctors that don't actually have a mentor to help talk through the clinical aspect of what they're doing and you know so much focus on coaching really is um, you know sharing of a business skill set and most of our young new docs are not motivated by that success model um, and money they want um, they want to really create an experience that's valuable to them and also be of service to others and so I really am functioning more in that um, clinical mentorship guide um, and the programs that I've been creating are really about the consciousness of integrating who you are as the clinician, who you are as a person and designing that experience so that um, we don't see this high turnover or docs ending up in the wrong practices with the wrong model because they haven't actually really dug a little bit deeper into what um, what they're looking for. So um, our, you know, our community um, you know, so often, you know, the community that we've really built in the Prana Foundation is experienced docs who, you know, even just recently one said, you know, that they were looking to restore their faith in chiropractic. Um, and so we're getting it, you know, we're, we're really able to create a community of like-minded um, individuals who really understand that while we're physical beings, we are also energetic and spiritual beings first. And, um, you know, chiropractic, in just a neuromusculoskeletal model or a muscular, you know, skeletal model, depending on where you are, where you practice, um, is a little bit more limiting than a lot of us know to be the case when we talk about healing. And so we have those conversations as well. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where you came up with the name the Prana Foundation then? 
We've always been prana actually. When so. we were in practice, we were the we were the prana group. Mm -hmm. And we chose that word long before it was <laughs> popular and well known. So okay. yeah, we chose it before yoga was really what it was and the conversation associated with breath um, and as it relates to healing, as it relates to healing trauma, as it relates to the neurology of trauma, none of that was really on, uh, on the map 20 years ago. And so it just really made sense. Like we started very in early on, we were the Prana Chiropractic Center, and then we quickly changed it to the Prana, found, uh, the Prana Group. And so it just was a natural transition as we grew um, and as our vision yeah, grew. Yeah, we just can't shake that idea that, you know, there's this incredible life force that drives us from the moment of conception until we die and on beyond that right mm -hmm. so yeah so, yeah it's been our handle for a really long time yeah when i um when i saw that you guys had that as your name and stuff i was like instantly i says i need to get connected with them and mm -hmm. see how we can eventually have a, a super cool working relationship because mm -hmm. i think we're in total alignment for what what we're trying to do mm -hmm. i'm sort of taking what you guys are doing with the chiropractic and i'm trying to i'm not trying we're doing it more at a global level to get more continuity between people to come up kind of sort of with a what i call the collective perspective mm -hmm. and without having the diversity you can't have the unity because you got to embrace that aspect of it and for when I, yeah, I learned recently about what the prana healing is all about because I was at a seminar a while back and I was doing some things with, that I just intuitively did. And some, one of the doctors at the seminar, she's like, are you doing pranic healing? Mm -hmm. I was like, what exactly is that? <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked into it a little more. I was like, well, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. yeah it was totally cool to have you guys when we were in Vancouver, when I, when I got to meet you guys. Mm. And I think I did a walk and talk with Monique mm -hmm. a little bit and she put me back on my path within three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I could wish I could remember that conversation. You didn't even say much. I think I was talking the whole time and then you just mm. had a few little bits and then I was like, yeah, Okay. Yep. That's spot on. You know, I think a lot of times that's what mentorship is yeah. about. It's really about holding space for people and then just making little slight corrections or suggestions of to allow them to unfold. Right. I, for me, for us, for the Prana Foundation, it's really about developing the authentic person. It's not about trying to fit anybody into a mold or making, you know, suggestions to do this, do that. It's like, who are you? Because we are most powerful when we are 100% ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, that's what we're trying to help facilitate is for people to grow into the fullest expression of who they are. I think, Amen. You know, yeah, I mean, I think the chiropractic profession in particular, because we work the way we do um, with the human frame, especially if we have empathic and are intuitive and there's that aspect of what we do um, as facilitators you know i think um you you know we're part of that conversation i mean to express who we are that's that's you know what 
we're here for is to be the best possible versions of ourselves. And in chiropractic, so much has you know been about a formulaic kind of approach or a limited version of what that actually looks like. And and so for us, mentoring is really about just allowing all the diversity that we are um, as human beings express themselves within a profession that we love. Um, so mentoring is just holding that space, like Dr. Yeah. Mo said. And I think I've noticed that in my own, I've been a chiropractor 12 years, my own experience, you know, work, when you're around other colleagues and stuff, uh -huh. getting that courage, that uh -huh. courage to be yourself uh -huh. is the key, I think. And, and that's yeah. amazing that what you guys are doing and you're, you're giving the students that courage to be who they are and not fit into that mold. And that's a scary thing because you feel alone. Mm -hmm. in the beginning well, and, that's the, and that's the whole point is to not for not to be about isolation you know and to realize i mean that's you know when monique says shepherding we really feel strongly about you know you know they've they've just completed their coursework and you know where are they going to go next to discover that next piece of themselves as the doctor it's not just about finding the logistics you know or the the circumstance that fits the budget or is in the location it's being really mindful that this is your journey, but you know, you're not sacrificing yourself in that process. And it's really, really important um, to have community and connectedness with somebody of like mind who's there and can mirror for you and support you, not give you the answers, but actually just, you know, draw those out and, you know, not be attached to how that all comes together, but be um, connected to you in your own process. Um, and, and I think, you know, that first sort of three, five years out of practice is a whole lot of growth and discovery and figuring out how this is going to play out for you. And you're right, it demands an enormous amounts of bravery and courage to even just give yourself the voice, especially when you're doing more tonal work, when you're doing things that are um, not mainstream, not mainstream and not, you know, when you're having to continually feel like you're needing to justify why you're doing what you're doing and you're just really hoping the public is going to embrace that um form of facilitation you know and so i think you re we really want them starting in that space of having confidence and feeling brave and feeling courageous and doing it exactly as they wish to do it um and not feel from the very beginning that they need to be put into a box that somebody else has created I, th I think I need to be in your program. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody so, is welcome. Yeah. <clears throat> so this will lead to a question I think Josh had about, um, yeah, about what he's up to with mm. with his work. And uh, yeah, Josh. Yeah, I'm uh, at the moment. Uh, I'm a counselor in uh, practical psychology, mm. but I'm studying uh, energetic therapy. Mm. Uh, but with all the answers I already got, uh, we kind of killed the first question. <laughs> Luckily, I have three. So the, the first question was, uh, what is your view on energy therapy? But I don't think I, <laughs> I still need an answer on that. Uh, the second question is, what does it do for the nervous system? Because uh, you're, you're neurologists, I have uh, seen on the internet. That's correct? Mm -hmm. We both so, have uh, we, we both have degrees in neuroscience. Yes. Yeah, neuroscience. So, what 
what does the uh, the prana or the energetic therapy do for the nervous system? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that from a tangible perspective that is not has not yet been clearly elucidated in sort of you know conventional conventional scientific terms. I think if we look more to what's happening in quantum physics and on a quantum level, we can all agree, and in fact, it has been substantiated that the body emits an electromagnetic energy. And that, that is something that's actually quantifiable. Mm -hmm. And we know from studies that look at um, HRV that if we can impact the body's coherence, one person, if we can even impact our own body's coherence, that has a quantifiable impact on the coherence of the energetic, you know, tone of the people around us. You know, in, in conventional terms, the average person, even I would say, you know, the allopathic scientist really doesn't appreciate or understand what that means. And in fact, they would probably even argue that that energy stuff is all rubbish. And I think there couldn't actually be a more uneducated statement than to say it doesn't exist. Because we do know that there's a quantifiable energy that the body emits. We do know that one person's energy can actually impact another's. We also know even, you know, if you go back many years at this point, you know, James Oshman did a really great job in really just describing what we know um, in terms of even just how far energy radiates from the human frame, who, that it can be measurable, that it has certain patterns. Um, and yes, that, you know, that another human being's energy that we connect in that way that, you know, that monks can emit that, you know, we, we know a lot of these things. And I think the general public does, but, you know, the history of conventional um, allopathic um, medicine you know, sort of shut down any of that energetic work, which was actually, if you look into the history, was part of their history. They just shut it down and, you know, and here we are in a solely, you know, surgical or biochemical intervention that's actually completely, you know, sort of eliminated another whole aspect of, of how we exist cellularly as human beings. I don't know if we answered your question. I would say this. <laughs> From a medical perspective, what impact does one person's have on another person's neurology is not, has not clearly been identified, but from a, a purely energetic quantifiable analysis, we do know that one person's electromagnetic radiation can have a positive or a negative influence on another's. That if one person has a high coherence, that can have an effect of raising the coherence of another human. Absolutely. And I think that's where we perhaps can add most value. Yeah, thank you. Um, the, the thing is, uh, what I'm doing is, is multiple things. Uh, we're talking about cranial sacral therapy, mm -hmm. um, uh, energy uh, therapy, uh, electro acupuncture yes. and, and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. uh, what I see in my treatments when I go to somebody and they have a treatment is that afterwards they all say that it was good mm -hmm. and they all say they're relaxed and they all say they, they're tired and they want to go to yeah. bed. So that for me, I think uh, what I see 
the most thing is getting it's getting the body out of the fight flight mode mm -hmm. um, and that's a very important thing these days because we're all in it and we're all in it too long so uh, that for me is is already the proof and uh, and I'm, as i'm doing the course i'm reading a lot of the stuff about the grillian <laughs> photography and yes uh, diacinine paint and how how, it, how it's been caught um, how the body gives this light that cannot be seen with the, the normal eye. Mm -hmm. so at this point, I'm focusing on, on fire capping, meridians, so the electroacupuncture, mm -hmm. craniosacral therapy, and, then, and I have a, a last question. Do you have a suggestion for me where to focus the most on neurologically? Is it like craniosacral? Is it fire capping? Is it uh, the meridian, meridians? or uh, uh, energy therapy. Are you familiar with James Oshin's book, Energy Medicine? No, sorry. This is a reference, I'll, I'll share it with you. Um, mm -hmm. what's, so he wrote, he wrote this book, I mean, it's probably about 20 years old now, and it was specifically for those like us um, in a healing realm, in a facilitator's role. And he does a really, really great job of actually delineating sort of what therapies tap into which, if I said, I'm gonna use the word maps, it's what I use when I'm talking to patients. It's like, there are different ways to communicate with the human frame with its energy. And different, um, and different modalities actually uh, you know, resonate with different individuals. So sometimes it's not about the amalgamation of all modalities within the same, you know, care plan or care sequence within a patient, but it's knowing about which modality to target with which individual. And that's based on sort of which communication pathway their body is able to accept. So with craniosacral therapy, you're looking at movement of cerebral spinal fluid. You're talking about nourishing and bathing. Um, uh, you know, the nervous system, you're looking at the rhythms within those, that craniosacral, you know, rhythm that you're tapping into versus when you look at meridians or TCM um, and acupuncture, um, they have their own maps. But one of the things that, you know, that, that is also sort of more common knowledge is that those maps or those pathways that are used um, don't actually, they would say are not neurological pathways that while they may impact the nervous system, that that actually is not the language that they're speaking. It would be the, the in medical terms, the side effect, in our terms, an effect, but yeah, it's yeah. indirect. And so mm -hmm. TCM is an in, has an indirect in, uh, impact to the nervous system and balancing that sympathetic, parasympathetic tone. Craniosacral is actually a different modality in terms of how you're tapping in. And then you look at things that you know, are now more considered like manual neuroscience that are much more focused on um, uh, polyvagal um, trauma um, type work. And that those exercises actually use things like eye movement and um and and you know it's a modality that that works a different way so i would say from a clinician's perspective what i would say to you is this is i would say you've chosen um very distinctly different ways and languages to speak to whoever is on your table mm -hmm. i think that the clinical skill and gift is choosing the right thing for the right person in the right time
And that's actually the clinicians, like what I would say, that's where I would say is the gifts we grow into is the choice in, in the, the, the languages we speak to an individual based on where they're at, what you're, you know, what, what even just what is coming really strongly through for you, how much, you know, I would say for me, it's like, how much am I going to do more direct mechanical communication to an individual versus how much am I going to really read their subluxation tracks through like a BGI model? And am I going to integrate first? What am I going to do next? And that's really, I would say to you as the clinician, learn as much as you possibly can about the modalities that you relate to the most because those are going to be the languages that you speak to your patients thank, thank you for that yeah that's the key i think you know clinical proficiency when i use those words clinical proficiency is about you using your gifts in the service of another human being and picking the right language that speaks to both of you in that moment based on what you know is happening Thank you for that. I, I could not have a better explanation. <laughs> Good. Yeah, Thank you. this is the book. I think this is the one for you right now. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. You write the so book. Yeah. I will, I will structure my therapy to the guy who is in front of me. Thanks. Exactly. That's, You're welcome. That's a real good so, Josh, you have like five minutes for the... Yeah, I still have four minutes, yeah. <laughs> so, right now, I got a book. We're going to do a quick intermission on our discussion and we're going to go into some comedy expressions from the Netherlands. Right. Maybe they're not all funny. <laughs> I have no okay. idea. They're funny. Well, now to you've me. given us a clue. Yeah. No, I have a book, so I have to pick one and okay. I don't even know which one we're going to pick. <laughs> okay. So we're just going to open it. Uh, Josh, load in the billing heaven. Sorry, say it again. Load in the billing heaven. Oh, I don't even know it. You don't even know it? Okay. No. The hand load in the billing heaven. That's, uh, that's easy. I know exactly what that means. <laughs> yeah, tell me. Tell me. It actually comes from the Confucius. And it means... Um, he who Having sleeps on the floor will not yeah. fall out of bed. Oh, really? Load in the Billehaven. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. Is that German? <laughs> no, it says having lead in, uh, lead in your buttocks. So. <laughs> yeah, right, which is why you need to stay in bed. If you sleep on the floor, you will not fall out of bed. It makes complete, complete sense. Yeah, yeah. What about, Josh, the hand in eigen bosomsteken? Oh my God, there, there are so many difficult ones. Um, Matthew, we said we weren't going to talk about pornography on this one. <laughs> bosom. <laughs> yeah, bosom. bosom that's <laughs> it says, yeah, put your hand in your, in your own uh, decollete, but yeah, what it means? No, no, no. God, this one's, I picked a page over body's parts, so. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's under, a chiropractic thing. Under the under the dam dam how ah under under the, the dam how yeah that's really easy that's uh -huh. holding that's something it. under the thumb. So what would that mean to you two? Under the thumb? Well, from a chiropractic perspective, it makes me think about Logan technique. 
Yeah, but they, um, they don't know any. <laughs> no. Uh, there's room for all techniques. Um, are you asking what the, like globally, somebody would if think somebody under says, the thumb Yeah, is? like you have that under the thumb. Under my control. That's exactly what it means. Yeah. So it's not fun uh, this game with these two women. So. Uh. <laughs> Oh, it's, I think it's really fun, actually. <laughs> and what about what, what the handboven had hofthouden? You're holding your yeah. hands above your head. Yeah. What, what, what do people what does say it mean? that for? The yeah. um, holding the hand above the head. I'm done. I'm out. Mean? And yeah, it, it's and like, they're yeah, talking I'm about done. holding the hand above the head of, of somebody else. What would that mean? Oh, it means what does that mean? Holding your hand. It means you're invading their damn space. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the opposite? Uh, no, it's 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 kind of the opposite. It means uh, when 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 Matthew does something wrong, and Adrian says, "Yeah, you did something wrong," and then I tell uh, Adrian, "No, it's 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 not uh, like Matthew did something wrong because of." this or that so i'm bailing him out actually oh okay yeah yeah okay yeah okay so those were our uh, yeah that's what, we'll stop with the dutch humor there yeah and i have to go matt <laughs> okay so then you're going to miss out on the controversial topic of the day yeah sorry man it was okay. nice to meet you joshua take it easy josh yeah. and we'll Very see nice you to meet you too. we'll see you yeah. tomorrow yeah. okay yeah, thank you. And yep. thank you for answering my questions. It was very helpful, very useful. And we'll surely do that. Great. Goodbye. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Okay, so this is a box oh with multiple topics. And I have okay, no good. idea. I have no idea what we're gonna get. Okay. But it's always fun to get other people's perspective on controversial topics because everybody's so damn scared to speak about it. Right. True. And everybody yeah, thinks that we're conspiracy theorists and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I don't think we're gonna do this one, okay? Okay, I'm good with that. I trust one your is, judgment. This one says holistic medicine. Yeah. Versus, yeah, I think we've already covered that. It's not yeah, controversial yeah. for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. He's got one. The politics in the world and the lobbyist activities in this world. Oh. Right. Ready for two days? Apparently, <laughs> the two most powerful, uh, well, let's say one, yeah, they almost are tied together. The most powerful lobbyists, certainly in. I don't know about globally, but in North America and certainly the United States are big pharma. So the pharmaceutical industry, and then, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you can dissociate food from drug, right? So that the sugar industry, which really is also the food industry. So these are the two biggest lobbyists. And I believe, you know, politics maybe is more of a dirty word than it's ever been especially in America right now, because if we think about what's happening from a human rights standpoint, 
it's pretty ugly. And um, I actually don't watch a lot of news because I don't find that it does anything to elevate my energy. <laughs> but it's hard to get away from what's happening in America right now in terms of social justice. And, you know, they have an election coming up. So politics is at the forefront. And even everything that's happening with this pandemic, I think a lot of what we see in the media is really driven by what's happening politically. And it may even be that the politics are driving the narrative of what's happening from a health perspective, from an intervention perspective. And so, you know, this is a very unique time in our lives. And certainly in within my lifespan, there's not been a time when it's essentially, it feels like the world's been shut down. And, and I think that's politically motivated. I think it's really, it's an interesting question from this perspective. You know, we are in North America. Um, you know, I uh, read an article not that long ago that jokingly said it's the first time in history that an American passport has not been worth anything. Oh. Like, it just can't be used. And so global politics, um, you know, as a Canadian, um, you know, we align ourselves more with Europe typically than the United States, you know, um, but we have a love for the US. Uh, and, you know, what's great about the US is really great. What's not is really can be really ugly. And in an election year in the United States, um, it's a global, like everybody globally is watching what's happening because there's the assertion of power and you're talking about a society that is really individually focused. Um, it's not so focused on the collective. There's not, you know, there's nothing, you know, to grow up in a socialist country, you grow up mindful of a collective um, consciousness. And, and so I think, you know, American politics and what's happened with lobbyists and connections politically, global, you know, globally with big empires like China and Russia, and I'm not even pretending to understand economic politics or, you know, anything like that. You've got an American election that we already know there are questionable relationships that have been made. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is an unrest. I think that the United States is and Americans in general, we all sort of, you know, if you're Canadian and you meet an American or they hear an American aspect of my, um, like I'm realizing in Canada, everybody's presuming I'm American. And so they're all asking me about what's happening in the United States. And there's already judgment, you know, there's already, um, there's already a presumption because even my language after living there for, you know, six years sounds more American than it does Canadian anymore. Um, I think, you know, we are, we do have a global amount of unrest. I think, you know, countries are very happily opening borders to the countries that they have an affiliation for. So yay, Costa Rica has opened the borders for Europeans and Canadians, but mm, not Americans. Yeah. Um, you know, Europe has done the same thing. Canadians can go, there's a free, you know, I can, I can travel to Europe without. An but issue, I think there's still some restrictions. There's restrictions, yeah. but I just mean in general, you know, so yeah. I think that's an interesting question to ask right now, because I think we don't know who's lobbying governments. Um, well, we can make lots of assumptions. Like you said, then we're called conspiracy theorists. Yeah. I read something the other day that I really liked that said uh, Noah was a conspiracy theorist as well until it started to rain. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, this, this topic, I think we could talk honestly for a long, long time on yeah. and what you connected with the lobbyists and the political parties. And he, he, 
whoever has the most money has the most power and control. And that's how the system yeah. is, is made right now in the US. Yeah. Yeah. And way back in the early 1913 uh, or somewhere along then when the Rockefellers tried to monopolize the medical yeah. system and that's when it all started. Yeah. And then they realized that if they control the food market, they yeah. can control the sickness level that yeah. people have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody in the US has lost their their uh their bravery, their courage to stand up. But a big part of the problem I think now is that there's no uh, I want to say continuity. Mm -hmm. They all have they all want the same thing, but there's nobody kind of gluing everybody together and mm -hmm. and getting people to realize that there's true true strength is in the numbers because mm -hmm. there's way more people than there are in the government and in my opinion a clean slate is necessary at a certain it's point it's interesting because i think it's 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 really complicated i mean the people the, the percentage of the populations that show up for elections is actually really small and so how do you collectively motivate um to actually show up and, and have the confidence that your voice is going to be heard. And historically, I mean, if you know, we are talking about the United States, historically, because of the way their political system is, is set up, um, you know, the popular vote, regardless of how popular, um, has created a complexity associated with who actually ends up being in that role of, you know, president or decision making. And um, so, yeah, how do you get how do you get people to care enough to realize that collectively the numbers, you know, uh, there is a collective voice, but that's not. But I think you know. part of the issue is like something that makes Americans excited about being American, which is this independent freedom is also, you know, the blessing is the curse yeah. because it's hard then how do you take this band of independent freedom loving individuals and try and create a collective <laughs> sounds a bit like chiropractic <laughs> yeah right That's it. and uh, after the show i'll tell you a project that we're working on about that as well yeah. which is gonna we're gonna also want you on for that podcast as well because right. um but i'm not sharing that yet to the public yeah, yeah. um but yeah with the politics as we say we you know if anybody is listening to this right now at this point it's just make sure you question the authority mm -hmm. at this point and and you know monique you question it with logic and reason and mm -hmm. evidence and facts mm -hmm. yeah and the thing is it's very hard for people to even be open to the facts and to the truth when they're listening to music and they have their uh -huh. headphones in yeah and i've spent years trying to convince people to uh, understand certain truths that are happening that are that's really going to mess up the future mm -hmm. uh, but they're not listening to me at all so yeah. then the frustration I I'm over that phase because then I realize oh they they can't hear me mm -hmm. because they're they're f basically focused on the political machine that's been created as kind of uh, a television show Mm -hmm. almost yeah and it's the pol political system is designed to divide people as well mm -hmm. and the first or the last president that wasn't a republican or democrat was george washington mm -hmm. and 
And yeah, so that's enough to say about that. So they've had this bipartisan system for so long. And a while ago, my idea was, okay, how can you create this strong political third party? How can that happen? Mm-hmm. But now they got what Kanye West saying he's yeah. going to run for president. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think they're going to try to be, make it out to be a joke. To well, it kind it. of is. It feels like a bit of a joke already, right? Because mm-hmm. here's the other part of the problem, Matthew, and that is people don't know what to believe anymore. Like every, everything, nobody reads something and goes like, and, and like, yeah, that's 100% true because there's so much fake, right? Like the internet has changed how we navigate information. Yeah. And everything you read now even science it's like you can i can give you one paper that says this and another paper that was published the same day that says the exact opposite thing it's like how do you know what to believe and so then that really gets tied into what your values are Mm -hmm. and then we seek out other things that confirm our values right confirmation bias and even the logarithms from the search engines that we use show us what we want to hear what we want to see and that and around and around we go and it's really difficult to for there to be growth and evolution when you don't accept challenge yeah. when actually you navigate the world in a computer driven information way that doesn't allow you to challenge yourself mm-hmm. and i think that that's also why it feels so like the divisiveness or the amount of um vitriol that's extended to another human being who thinks or sees things differently i think that kind of like we're all feeling how strong and how negative and how incredibly um uh well painful that is you know when you put yourself out there or give yourself a voice it's because you know it makes sense because the world has created algorithms that you know that have me thinking that more people think the way i do because yeah. I never actually get to see the other side unless I go and actively attempt to find it. And that's actually harder to do now. It's harder to do because of what comes up on my search engine. You know, our three computers, the three of us could write the exact same word and there would be a different sequence that would come up to answer my search versus yours versus yours. People, I think, don't even realize that their world is being curated yeah. by an algorithm. Yeah, and that's scary business. Yeah, which is why it's important to read books. Yes. Read, read books and read things of what people said in the past. I just finished uh-huh. Thurman Fleet's book, yep. uh, Rays of the Dawn, uh-huh. and he wrote that back in the 30s, and all that stuff holds true today. Uh-huh. And so yeah, people listening to this, I would say question your politicians, ask them why. And if they don't give you a reason why, then I mean that's for me, that's a good enough reason to do something about it mm-hmm. and expose them. Because I think a true politician should be willing to leave office if he's not serving his people. And he should yeah. leave right away. Yeah. And that's another thing that the politics and the, the world, you know, they don't want to get out of politics because the, the lobbyists are paying them too much money. Yeah. And then you get into the money game and the system has a way to be broken peacefully, mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. opinion. It's mm-hmm. just enough people have to want to yeah. stop paying their taxes, for example. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Yeah. So, well, I think we'll go and stop there with the politics. And then at the end of every show, I do a bonus question. And it's okay. just a curious, um, it's a question of curiosity about where other people's create creative ideas come from and where they where they're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tagline for the intuitive mind solutions is we help people help people. And it's, you know, like I said, in the beginning, the principle is just based on just shining a light on people that are doing work, helping others in the world, mm-hmm. creating that kind of community that mm-hmm. lets other people know that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the world needs improvement. It needs to be better. And there needs to be things that change to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I always ask people, what thing could the world use that isn't in the world at this moment? It doesn't have to be something tangible. It does have to be something tangible, but uh, it doesn't have to be something that exists. So this can be like an invention idea to where if enough brains come together mm-hmm. and try to work on that, uh, then a big change can happen. But you got to know what other people are thinking because my brain's always going about ideas and how I would improve this or that. But there's not enough people yet working together on these type of ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if somebody could invent a way to take the wisdom that your being has amassed at 80 and give it to you at birth. (laughs) Well. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know you said it had to be tangible, but I like to dream big. Have you, did you, were you on that mastermind with Jesse Elder? Yes. Mm -hmm. Didn't he say something like. Did he? When he started talking about the, the thoughts of your past Oh, that future. everything is happening at the same time. Mm. So then maybe you have to think about the time you're a baby and start putting those thoughts into your. Yeah. 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 Mm. But That's a machine a to point. do that, a machine to do if that, could, maybe we already have it. Maybe we already have it. Yeah. I made some pretty dumb mistakes in my 20s. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I have a list that is locked <laughs> in a vault, so. <laughs> But what mm-hmm. did what I went through made who I am today, and that's how how I will uh, now. And it's, it's, yeah. it's no regrets. Yeah, I mean, I, my first thought, without you know, if I said I know I'm supposed to have a solution, but no, maybe it's not a solution. That maybe the, the solution comes later. Maybe it's pointing out something that needs a solution. Yeah, I mean. The socialist, you know, sort of the coming, you know, growing up in a socialist country, you know, I, I would say like, you know, even in my 20s, I never really thought about shared wealth or the ability to, you know, if, if, if ultimately every single day is about trying to make sure that you have a roof over your head and you're just taking care of your, you know, core needs, then we never as, we never get to actually um, we never see the realized potential in human beings that are just trying to make ends meet, you know? So the divide of socioeconomics is so great at this point. We have so many people living so much excess 
and taking so much of the world's resources, um, what would that look like to just say like enough? Like the planet has suffered enough from that excess mm -hmm. landmass um, that's being taken up by a small number of people versus, you know, and people who we never get to actually see the gifts of so many human beings that are brought into this plane because globally, the global economics has not even allowed them the opportunity to express. Yeah. You know, like more imagine shared that, community. Like that, so that, that, that homeless that whole, singer that has a voice that nobody in the world has heard right. and could change right. the lives just with that voice. And, you know, so just, you know, just sort of the basics of food and shelter um, globally. You know, it's, it's, it's painful to think that there's people in this world starving when others um, are filling their lives with things that matter so much less without any kind of mindfulness of um, who we are as human beings and carrying a responsibility in some way outside of filling your pocketbook, you know? Yeah, it's a gross um, irresponsibility I think we have yeah. invested yeah. in as human beings to have millions of people starving when there's more than enough food for every human soul. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, it would I'll be in that us, faith, I would say. I'll offer us, I'll just talk a little bit about a solution to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I've never shared it with anybody in, in public relations really, with friends mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind what you're saying would be to, to support to the fullest, the lowest mm -hmm. class possible, mm -hmm. creating that basic freedom. Mm -hmm. And then how could you find a way to create a, a monetary system based on service credits? Mm -hmm that would support this lower class to the mm -hmm. fullest. And mm -hmm. the idea would be to create a, a sh those mini little homes, kind of like mm -hmm. a big ice shack that can yep. be very fast like built. Housing. Yep. Yeah. So then if you want to live in one of them, you just have to spend a set amount of hours per week building them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you, get, you pay your rent for your, so then you get free living by doing mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And then you also create produce farms Mm -hmm. doing the same thing for food. Mm -hmm. And so if you work in the produce gardens and the farm for a set amount of hours per week, you mm -hmm. earn these service credits that gets you enough food for your week. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with building. And you start there. You start mm -hmm. with the food and shelter mm -hmm. and making sure it's accessible to every human mm -hmm. that you can in wherever country you're starting this program. Mm -hmm. So now you have a credit of service. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the idea would be if that grows to the point of, um, of a higher value, you can actually create clothing stores that only accept service credits. Mm, right. And you create other stores. And then let's say you have that rich millionaire that loves these clothes and say, I want to buy these clothes. Mm -hmm. Well, that store owner says, no, your money's no good here. Mm -hmm. Go out in that field and go do some work. Mm -hmm. And when you earn enough service credits, you can buy those jeans. Mm -hmm. And you could get some really unique people that make really great products that would back that up and say, no, mm -hmm. they want to say no to the dollar, no mm -hmm. to the currency system. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you can buy the service credits with money, mm -hmm. feeding money into that program even more. And then you'd actually deflate the value of the dollar. Mm -hmm. And that, and so, 
that type of program could exist. Mm -hmm. And yeah. as a beginning, interesting. Hmm. What? Yeah. Lots to think about. Yeah. That I mean, it's interesting because ultimately, you know, how much subsidy is available for lower income. And I, you know, just say, okay, Canada. I look at how much money has been distributed and subsidized um, even just this year, you know, how much of, you know, how much money the Canadian government has released in support of, you know, rent subsidies and income subsidies and, you know, in a crisis type situation. Um, so it's not like your idea is that far off in terms of recognizing or people being able to identify where they're at. It's just at the level of where, you know, they're starting and what their expectations of living um, still has that million dollar home being something we're all supposed to aspire to, you know? I think if you didn't have to pay any tax mm -hmm. and you didn't have to worry about anything except working in that field and working, building homes for people, and then the rest of your time is free to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm and you give people newer opportunities to do things that you don't need money to enjoy what's in nature. Mm -hmm. And kind of, and then you'd, I think there's many programs out there that we have affiliations with that would be able to offer a program for people to do, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't cost them anything essentially. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I, yeah. so that was my idea and how would you strengthen the, you know, I've had that in my head for a long time, but mm -hmm. like on a tangible way to, deflate the dollar and mm -hmm. support and strengthen the lower class because that's where right. i think the true power exists yeah 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 definitely but i think yeah it's so funny because i haven't told anybody that in so long yeah and then it with what you're asking for that's what yeah that's kind of my idea that i've had for a long long time but mm -hmm. I think it could definitely work, especially in industrialized nations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then from then on, then people can start realizing how strong we are together, how much we have in common with each other. Yeah. yeah. And, and more people that are waking up, I, I feel that collective consciousness growing. And this COVID-19 thing is just made to keep us apart from each other. But what Adrian, who was on the call before, sorry, he had to, uh, let us go because his connection was really bad in Venice. Mm -hmm. But what he said is like, yeah, essentially they think they're making us weaker, mm -hmm. but they're actually making us stronger. Yeah. And yeah. there's going to for sure. And there's, and when we can collectivize our intention, mm -hmm. people like us, for example, with like-minded philosophies on what we want, mm -hmm. and we're going to be a very powerful entity, a, a storm that they don't see coming mm -hmm. and that's what i think i've been preparing the last 15 years of my life for yeah mm -hmm. yeah nice and, and i'm glad to have met you guys and i know there's no coincidences in this world so uh, i'm looking forward to uh having you on the next podcast which mm -hmm. i'll discuss with you after this call right and then hoping to work more with you in the future and being able to help support your programs even more. Um, even sending some of the, getting some of the Dutch chiropractors and maybe working more closely with the Dutch chiropractors because there's not many of us uh -huh. in this country. We're maybe under little under 500 for 18 million uh -huh. people. Wow. 
-hmm. but the Dutch chiropractors are fighting amongst each other. Right. And like you have two different associations and it's just like, it's right. It's, it's pointless. Yeah. There's no point in even having discussions or fear about your other colleagues doing the same thing you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I'll be picking you guys' brain on how we can help support the Dutch culture on unifying the chiropractors here because there's so few of us. Yeah. We're not dealing with what the U.S. is dealing with in the numbers. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And then if we can do this in the Netherlands, we could maybe share that with other, mm -hmm. with the U.S. to see. Canada. Yeah. I'm not sure about the Canada atmosphere, but I don't want to get into it much because you, yeah. uh, I was with Richard Letta on an episode uh -huh. and uh -huh. I don't even think my episode is arable. Mm. Yeah. Because, because of some things that I said. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah. But anyway, um, I really do appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to Thank you, come Matthew. on the show. And yeah. I'm looking forward to the future working together. So we're going to say goodbye to everybody. And at the end of every show, what I usually say is stay relaxed, everybody, mm -hmm. and safe. Thank you. Okay.